reading from the book of Chronicles. David and the officers of the army also set apart for service the sons of Athos and of Heman and of Jehuda, who were to prophesy with lyres, harps, and cymbals. The list of those who did the work and of their duties was, they were all under the direction of their father for music in the house of the Lord with cymbals, harps, and lyres for service in the house of God. Asaph, Jehuda, and Heman were under the order of the king. They and their kindred, who were trained in singing to the Lord, all of whom were skillful, numbered 288. And they cast lots for their duties, small and great, teacher and pupil alike. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people.
from the Gospel according to Mark. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever, whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Thanks be to God.
I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost, born of Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God. Merciful God, you 
you raised up Gregory of Rome to be a servant of you, the servants of God, and inspired him to send missionaries to preach the gospel to the English people. Preserve in your church the Catholic and Apostolic Church faith they taught, that your people, being fruitful in every good work, may receive the crown of glory that never fades away. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. abroad, 
the rise of nationalism and nativism in countries formerly committed to the consensus established after the Second World War by liberal democracies around the globe, and a general dissatisfaction with how economic realities have evolved since the end of the Cold War. Such fears only elevate and become more acute when we read headlines of possible pandemics, or, as was determined today, an official pandemic, or stock markets halting trading, or any of a number of recent issues. Now, I don't know the answer. I'm not as fatalistic, perhaps, as some of my fellows, but I also know that be not afraid rings more hollow in my mouth than it would do in the mouth of an angel or of the risen Lord. So, good pastor that I try to be, I usually say, I don't know. How do you feel about <laughs> There is one thing, however, I do believe to be true, and which I do try to bring up in these conversations. At some of the darkest times in human history, there was one institution that could keep a light shining. I know it's gone out of fashion among many, but I cannot help but take comfort in Sabine Mary Gould's hymn text, which will be familiar to many of you. Crowns and thrones may perish, kingdoms rise and wane, but the Church of Jesus, constant, will remain. Gates of hell can never against church prevail. We have Christ's own promise, and that cannot fail. No greater example of the church's capacity to promote peace, order, and charity uh, can be found than its response to the very period in history to which my fearful interlocutors refer, namely the fall of Rome. After a slow and steady decline of a couple of centuries, punctuated by periods of extreme disaster and violence, it was up to the church to put the pieces back together and to keep the lights on, as it were in Western Europe during what history has largely unfairly and inaccurately referred to as the Dark Ages. One of the great heroes of our faith, one of the choice vessels of God's grace and a light of the world in his own generation, who made this reality possible was the saint whom we commemorate this evening, Gregory, Bishop of Rome. 
the son of a senator and himself sometime prefect of the city of Rome, charged with urban life in what had once been the great city and had become an imperial backwater, Gregory retreated to monastic life, and there he would have stayed, and would likewise have later returned, giving his own preferences. But the Lord had put a calling on his life. He would be called first to be the Pope's ambassador to Constantinople, a period during which he defended the doctrine of the bodily resurrection against that city's patriarch, who later recanted his heresy. And then, upon the Pope's death to a local outbreak of a disease that had wreaked havoc decades earlier, the so-called Plague of Justinian, which not to downplay our current anxieties makes the coronavirus look pretty weak by comparison, was himself elected to the papacy. During his 14 years as Bishop of Rome, Gregory the Great succeeded not merely in keeping the lights on in a moribund Western Europe, but in establishing policies which would spread that light farther and make it shine brightly. The threats of Lombard and Visigoth invasions were halted not by military methods, but by convincing these Aryan and Donatist peoples to embrace the truth of Christian orthodoxy. Christianity had, for all intents and purposes, introduced the very idea of organized charitable giving at its inception half a millennium earlier, not philanthropy to increase civic honor as the pagans had done, but as its own end. And Gregory set about redoubling the Church's efforts in this regard, insisting that anything local churches didn't need for their operations should be given as alms to the poor in the community. And most famously, not content to build a wall around the effective range of the Gospel message, Gregory sent missionaries to pagan Northern Europe, to the Netherlands, and Germany, and, as we Anglicans are well aware, to England itself, bringing the word of God's grace to even as benighted a people as we. And how did he do all this? How did he manage to bring some order to a chaotic, plague-ridden, sometimes seemingly leaderless Western Europe. I believe it is because he took to heart the words of our Savior when he spoke them as we just heard them in this evening's lesson from St. Mark's Gospel. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all.
this dear man, this child of God, who knew what it was like to have great authority in both secular and ecclesiastical realms, but who wished most of all to go back to the quiet life of the monastery, knew the only way to lead was to serve, to give of one's substance for the life of the poor, to make the confession of Christ's peace before men of violence, to spend all one's efforts not in gaining prestige or power, but in sharing the message of Christ crucified and risen to those who had not heard it. It is no wonder that a title used by the bishops of Rome ever since, sometimes truly and sometimes disingenuously, was first applied to Gregory. Servus Serorum Dei, Servant of the Servants of God. Now, for the first time in more than a decade as a parish priest, I've been blessed to share in the ministry of Christ's people in my own city of Findlay, Ohio, way out there on the frontier, as I like to tell people from Cleveland, with the assistance and companionship of a curate. We just started reading together a volume from another colleague titled Curacy Express, which is a good book despite the title. I asked my young curate after he read the first chapter, so what do you think about clergy leadership based on what you just read? And before he gave an honestly very good reflection on that question, he joked based on one of the photographs in the chapter, well, first, that a priest should always wear a mantle. Now, it's possible that the rector of Trinity Findlay is the only priest in the Diocese of Ohio that still invariably wears a mantle <laughs> while celebrating the Holy Eucharist. So in case you've not seen one, first, come to Findlay some Sunday morning. <laughs> It's a vestment which is essentially an elaborate server's towel worn on the celebrant's left wrist, which matches his or her stolen chasm. Anyway, I understand why it doesn't get a whole lot of use. One must be mindful of not knocking chalices over with it. That said, I insist on wearing one because I think it's the one piece of all the liturgical frippery we may or may not be accustomed to, whose symbolism is obvious, and which always serves to remind me of my role, not just as a priest, but as a Christian. If I am to lead in any kind of genuine or meaningful or effective way, I must first and foremost be a servant to the faithful and a slave to all God's children. That servers have reminds me all of them. 
So whatever happens in this old, sin-sick world, social collapse or a new birth of freedom, mutual responsibility, and interdependence, I personally believe that the best hope we all have as human beings and as children of God is if the church does what it has always done when at its best. Our greatest hope for something that looks a little bit more like the kingdom of God this side of Christ's return, which is ultimately the only thing which will establish it fully, is if Christians follow the good example of saints like Gregory the Great, and first and foremost, the perfect example of our Lord and Savior, to lead by way of service, to count ourselves the least of God's servants, and still to rely on God's grace to unite us in our division, free us from fear, and establish among us a kingdom defined not by the power and wisdom of this world, but by the love and meekness and gentleness of the one who came to serve of the Lamb who was slain for the redemption of men, that he might lead us into new life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.
Evening, we welcome John Dryman in from the frontier of uh, Trinity Finley. For, welcome, John. Thank you for a sermon that combined the word pandemic and frippery. Fairly <laughs> certain that's never happened before. But above all, thank you for a wonderful sermon about pastoral leadership and what the church is called to be as a servant of all people. Invite everyone to stay afterwards for our, our soup this evening is mushroom barley. Uh, and of course, after we greet, after, remember afterwards, we're refraining from handshakes. We're watching uh, the news very carefully. Going forward, I want to announce that we will, uh, our brown bag concerts will be, we won't be open to the public. Those will be available via podcast through the end of March. Is that correct? And then we'll, and then we'll evaluate from there. Uh, please take care of one another. Hold one another in your prayers. But as our British friends would say, keep calm and even song. <laughs> Let us pray. Lord Jesus, stay with us, for evening is at hand and the day is past. Be our companion in the way, kindle our hearts and awaken hope, that we may know you as you are revealed in scripture and the breaking of bread. Grant this for the sake of your love. Amen. Amen. Keep watch, dear Lord, with those who work, or watch, or weep this night, and give your angels charge over those who sleep. Tend the sick, Lord Christ, give rest to the weary, bless the dying, soothe the suffering, pity the afflicted, shield the joyous, and all for your love's sake. Amen. Together, let us pray the third prayer. On page three. Lord, it is night. The night is for stillness. Let us be still in the presence of God. It is night after a long day. What has been done has been done. What has not been done has not been done. Let it be. The night is dark. Let our fears of the darkness of the world, of our own lives, night is quiet. Let the quietness of your people enfold us, all dear to us, and all who have no peace. The night heralds the dawn. Let us look expectantly to a new day, new joys, new possibilities. In your name we pray. Amen. Let us bless the Peace of God which passes all our understanding with your hearts and minds and the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ. And the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen. Amen.